This is episode 203 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, Tips for Picking the Perfect Bugout Location, and What Are You Prepping For? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, right before I got started on the podcast, or started recording the podcast this evening uh, for the fr- for Friday, uh, I got an alert on my disaster preparedness app. Uh, a lot of you know, I've talked about this before in the past, that I uh, purchased the app. Uh, I'm a big follower of Suspicious Observer, uh, where uh, Ben talks a lot about uh, solar weather. And I mean, it kind of sounds like one of those conspiracy theory YouTube channels, but it really isn't. I mean, he talks a lot about uh, science and solar weather and how that affects uh, Earth's weather and earthquakes and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, they have an app. I highly recommend it, but you can set alerts and stuff like that. And so there was uh, an earthquake. I got an alert, like I said, right before I got on to record. there was an earthquake of 6.3 in Iran, um, in eastern Iran, uh, right when we were, got started. And actually, they've already had some other aftershocks uh, as I'm looking at this. Like uh, they had like a 5.0 uh, aftershock there. And uh, it was funny because I was talking to my dad, and uh, I hadn't seen the news yet, but there was a 4.1. And that's not very big as far as, you know, when we're looking at earthquakes or whatever. But it was on the east coast. It was in Delaware. And um, I guess they're so rare over there that people were like, hey, they didn't, re- they didn't realize what it was. But it was felt, uh, you know, all the way like to New Jersey and, uh, you know, up and down the East Coast over there. So uh, that's kind of crazy going off, you know, to two places today. And then again, um, the, over at, uh, in uh, Papua New Guinea, there was a 6.0. And uh, MC, actually, yeah, so we got a lot of, a lot of activity today and so uh you know when when you start seeing that kind of stuff you definitely want to be uh going over to suspiciousobserver.com or i'm sorry suspicious observer youtube channel and checking out to see if there's any updates or or uh you know he posts every morning he gives a, like a three minute update uh, we actually have that going automatically uh to the facebook group so i have that in a feed that automatically posts in the facebook group so if you're in the facebook group you get to see that every morning and uh, it kind of makes it easy for you you don't have to go over to youtube or whatever it's just it's there for you but uh earthquakes is one of those things that we're always uh you know keeping our eyes open for and if you especially if you are in an earthquake prone uh area you know that's something that you definitely need to prep for all right so let's go ahead and jump into the articles for the friday podcast um before i do that i just want to welcome you if uh you know my long-term listeners i appreciate you and i say long term we've only been going since february of 2017 and uh, so, you know, not too, too long term, but I do appreciate all of you. I know I get emails from, from some of y'all that are like, Todd, I've listened to every episode. And man, I'm like, man, that's great. I to- I, it's just so encouraging to me when I hear something like that. But I know that we've got new, uh, new people listening. Uh, maybe you just came to the website. Maybe you hit us on, you know, a Google search or whatever. Maybe you hit us from iTunes and you're just kind of checking us out. I, I hope that you subscribe. I hope you find something that's valuable to you. But, uh, you know, I'd like to welcome you and uh, hope you find great preparedness information here. Uh, I, I think we got a good thing going. So our first article comes to us from survivalistprepper.net. And uh, Survivalist Prepper is actually another podcast, right? And so it's like, Todd, why would you be promoting another podcast? Because there's a lot of great content out there. And I'm not one of those like, hey, I'm, I'm doing all the greatest thing. And uh, so I know Dell and Lisa. I've been on their podcast before. And uh, uh, Dell does a great job of, of uh, putting together show notes. And basically their show notes is almost a, a whole nother article, right, that you can, uh, that you can uh, look at and, and, and read and stuff like that if you don't wind up uh, listening to the podcast. But uh, they do have a great podcast over there. And this is one that we linked over at PrepperWebsite.com. So like I said, it's an article in itself. So uh, from time to time, I read those uh, these articles. And uh, again, it's tips for picking the perfect bug out location. Some good information here. So let's start reading. If we had our choice, none of us would want to bug out and leave everything we own behind. 
With that being said, there could be situations that require us to get out of Dodge for a few days or even longer. Natural disasters, civil unrest, or man-made disasters could make bugging out necessary, so what is the perfect bug out location? The truth is, there is no one correct answer to this question. We all have different needs, different finances, and different challenges that come with picking a bug out location that is best for us. It would be nice to be able to purchase a cabin up in the woods, but that isn't an option for most of us. So this is episode 229 if you wanted to go download their podcast. This week we talked to Andrew and Phil from the Matter of Facts podcast about some different options for picking a bug out location and went over some of the recommendations you hear about what makes a good bug out location. Below are some of the topics we covered in this week's show. And I'll say I've never listened to uh, Matter of Facts podcast before. Um, that's a new one on me. So it might be one that I need to start listening to or put in my podcast catcher. So um, here are a couple of options, bug out location options. Option number one, this is the oh crap location. This option means you haven't planned anything in advance or you can't get to your better option. If you have to use option one as your bug out location, you better plan on living like the homeless and being a refugee. In a natural disaster type situation, this might mean traveling out of the affected area and renting a hotel room. In a societal collapse scenario, you could look for a secluded area with abandoned buildings, old warehouses, old farmhouses, etc. This would be a very short option and just a place to spend the night. Option two would be, we hear all the time about how you shouldn't plan on going out in the woods and surviving. While it's true if you don't have basic survival skills, at some point you may not have an option. Keep in mind that in a situation that requires something like this, many other people will be thinking the same thing. The main goal of bugging out is getting away from people, so a popular campground may not be the best option. There is, however, a lot of land out there off the beaten path. We can scout these places out now and have a few emergency options when and if that time comes. Option number three. Just because your area might be affected doesn't mean that everyone is in a bug out situation. Make a list of people you know that might be willing to take you in during an emergency. These people could be relatives or friends that live away from urban areas but close enough to you for you to safely get to them. It is also important to make sure they know you plan on coming. Cell phones may not be working in a situation like this and showing up unannounced may not be the best option. You don't need to tell them they are your bug out location. You just need to call it an emergency location. So I guess I could be talking a little bit about all of these. That, uh, that oh crap location, that option number one. So let me go back to that one really quick. Um, you really shouldn't have an oh crap location. You really should have something. You really should have something in the back of your mind that you are planning. You should have a couple of different options in the back of your mind about what you're planning and where you could go. Um, some of those, like if you were in a, this oh crap location or your oh crap scenario and you had to bug out, you know, this uh, idea of being homeless and being a refugee, I mean, that, that would be, I think, very, very real. So you don't want to be in that situation. Uh, I love the idea of uh, that they, they mentioned... Uh, you know, possibly, possibly going to a hotel room if uh, if if you're not in a societal collapse situation, uh, something like uh, Hurricane Harvey uh, that hit down here in, on the Gulf Coast. Uh, I know people that uh, you know that that they did go further up north where they wouldn't be affected, and they stayed in a hotel for a couple of days. Uh, and uh, you know, now I, I will say that uh, when I was talking with this person, it was killing them. Because they were seeing uh, all the devastation and everything, uh, you know, on on the television, but it was killing them not being able to be back home, uh, you know, when they found out that their area really didn't get flooded. Um, the problem was then getting back to Houston uh, because all the roads were closed and all those kinds of things. It was hard to get in. If you remember, I mean, there was there was places where they were only allowing you know trucks with with uh, boat trailers and stuff like that. And so uh, you know you got that that idea. But if you had to bug out and you were going old warehouse or farmhouse, I mean, you're like walking dead, you know, scenario there, right? Uh, you're trying to find old abandoned buildings and, and all that kind of stuff. But again, um, that really shouldn't be uh, 
you know, your your. I mean, that's like your last last resort. Uh, you know, you have no other option. You 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 need to really have another option. Uh, you need to have multiple options. So uh, thinking this through and um, you know uh, trying to have a plan is is part of it. Um, option two, when you talked about going out into the woods, I guess you could do that. Um, if it was a short-term scenario, if it was a long-term scenario, you would be, you know, uh, collapse scenario. You would only be able to do that for a while. Eventually, you would have you need supplies. You would need to, uh, you know, get to a place where you can get some things uh, taken care of. And uh, so that's really not a long-term solution. Uh, but that might be a solution temporarily. Uh, but I like the idea of you, you just can't go to like a campground, although they would have the facilities that you need. Uh, you would really need to, you know, if because everyone might be thinking about that. I, I, unless it was like a super big campground, I don't know. And then at that, you know, depending on, you know, who runs it, uh, if they're allowing people in and stuff like that. I know that I talked with someone, um, actually a guy who used to, uh, because of the website, used to come to a small group that we ran and uh, he talked about a place that he had found that was uh, it was a campground but they really hadn't got everything going yet I think they might have had running water but it was like very very uh, you know you're roughing it out there so if you if you had an RV you would pull it up or if you had a you know a tent you would just kind of pitch it somewhere I think it was around the lake uh, but it would they were trying to set it up like a campground but you know having a little bit of experience with places like that uh, you know I don't, I don't know maybe there's a website out there maybe there's a website out there that has some uh, secluded campgrounds and things like that uh, if you know something like that hey feel free to share it with me you know hit me up on email or, or social media and uh, let me know so I can share that out um, and you know maybe there there is one place a website where you can go and you can find these these hidden or out of the way places where uh, you might find one you know kind of close to you um, let me see here. Uh, option three, where you have a family member, you know, the best thing would be, I mean, the most optimal thing would be that you had family who lived out in the country that wasn't too far away from you that you could go and that they were preppers, right? Or, or that they were, they understood the prepping lifestyle and they were very, very understandable, you know, understanding in the whole, whole deal. And you can say, hey, I'd love to, you know, drop a, a, a small trailer here with some supplies. Is that possible or you know can I stage some some uh, supplies here um, that would be that would be the the greatest thing so if you have family members in that scenario I mean you are in and they're willing to allow you to come and and hang with them that would be totally totally awesome and then of course if you did and they needed a little bit of convincing you could always talk to them about hey more people around the farm or the ranch more people to help with you know the chores and and gardening and security and all those kinds of things right um, but then if you have family who maybe are in that situation, but they don't have, uh, they're not, you know, the prepper thing, whatever, is not uh, something that they normally talk about or they're not really into. Uh, just saying that, hey, in an emergency location. And again, you know, I think Harvey, what happened here on the, on the Gulf Coast, I think that is one of those things where you can use and you can say, hey, look, hey, I've been thinking, uh, you know, I had a friend who who uh, left Houston because he heard about the hurricane. You know, can we come to your place if there ever was an emergency situation like that? Uh, you know, would you be okay with that? You know, what would you, you know, what would you want us to do or, you know, whatever, you know, and kind of go from there. And you can call it just an emergency location, not necessarily a bug out location. And, uh, you know, I don't know, there's some, some things there that you can do. All right, option four is joining a prepper group with someone who has property might be a good solution for people that don't have the money to purchase property right now. It may take some time to find the right group, but this comes with other benefits as well. A group that has a pre-planned location means more like-minded people who understand where you are coming from. More people working together will increase your security, safety, and overall preparedness. There are people out there, you know, doing, doing Prepper website, I know there's a lot of people out there that are looking for groups. There are a lot of people out there who are wanting to connect with other people. The thing is, is that there is such a, a mindset about OPSEC and, and uh, hey, don't let people know, you know, uh, uh, you know, who you are and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. I think that's not as 
as prevalent anymore. I think people are softening a little bit on that. Uh, it's not as prevalent as it was when I first started Prepper website, um, but it's still out there, and and, uh, and and rightly so. I'm not saying you need to throw everything out there. You need to be smart. You need to be wise about you know how you're how you're coming across. Um, you know, when you meet people, you need to meet them in a public place. You need to get to know them, spend a little bit of time with them. You know, uh, if they friend you on social media, you know, uh, you know, and, and you're and you're doing that, then check out their social media posts. Are they going all wacko on you? You know, um, you know, are they are they more in line with what you think? In, in the way that you believe, not just in preparedness, but politically, religiously. For me, faith would be a big, big deal. I wouldn't want anyone who, uh, you know, in in my group, who was so hostile to Christianity or to my faith um, that that they caused problems because of that. I mean, if you don't believe, fine, but you understand that you know this is this is the way we all believe, and this is going to be our common language. This is going to be you know we're going to pray when we eat. We're going to pray when someone's sick. We're going to pray for God's direction. We're going to you know those kinds of things, and so. Uh, you know, all those things are, are out there. So you need to, you know, hey, wh- you know, what do you think about politics? What do you think about this? And, and maybe just kind of slowly bringing those kinds of things up. But I, I think that's important to, to do that. And uh, again, like I said, there are a lot of people out there that are wanting to connect. Um, it's just it's just finding the finding the people right finding it and then finding the people that you, you that you mesh with uh, in a big uh, city like Houston it's a little bit easier um, you know like I said there there's been plenty of articles on that uh, in fact I will um, I'll link to the tag page on prepper website if you're interested in that um, I know that when I had prepper church I was for the purpose of um, Bible study and and also connecting with other preppers, other like-minded people. I had a page that was that would connect uh, people with other you know uh, people of faith in in their areas, and so people would give me their email address and uh, their city and their state. And so if you wanted to go look at you know you hey I'd find someone in Texas or Houston or whatever, and uh, you can connect with them. And uh, I I did save all that. And so hopefully I can, uh, I think I did. (laughs) I hope I did. And uh, hopefully I can put that up on Ed That Matters. I just need a little bit of time to to be able to do that uh, because things are just so busy for me right now. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll link to... um, some some pages on Prepper website if you want to get a little bit more information, maybe some ideas on that, and maybe that's something that we need to talk about in the future. All right, uh, number five, uh, number option number five is a goal most of us have is to move as far away from people as we possibly can. For some of us, this means the suburbs, and for some, it means a little further out. The larger the distance you can put between yourself and population, decrease decreases the odds of something bad happening to you and your family. All right. Um, Okay, let me talk a little bit about that because there's a couple of different views on that. So I know that uh, Fernando Aguirre, who uh, runs The Modern Survivalist, uh, and he really does more YouTubes and articles. So I really haven't hit him up to talk about or uh, ask him if he'll give me permission to do, uh, read his articles on, on the podcast. Um, so because he just does more YouTube videos than, than, than anything now. Um, but he and then also Selko, who also re, uh, runs SHTF, uh, shtfschool.com, uh, and he was a survivor in the Bosnia, you know, with the, the surrounding uh, Sarajevo, Sarajevo, where Sarajevo was, uh, uh, you know, under lockdown for I don't know how long, but it was uh, a long, long time. And he survived there, and he, he writes about those situations. So one of the things that both of them say, so uh, Fernando, who was in, in Argentina during the collapse, and um, Selko, who was over in uh, Bosnia, Sarajevo, uh, when, when that was surrounded, they both say that when, when things, you know, pooped out, that people out in the country had it bad because people would go raid them, people would go rape and kill and all those kinds of things, and there was no, no one really there to help, help them out. Um, people that were in the cities were able to 
band together. They were able to protect each other. Uh, even in like Argentina, one of the things that I remember Fernando uh, saying when you, when you read his book as well um, is that you know neighborhoods uh, were able to pull their money together and hire security. And so, you know, there would be armed guards that would patrol their, their neighborhoods and, uh, you know, people would come in and, and they would be safe for that uh, from, from people coming in and trying to, uh, to steal because when the collapse happened, there was a lot of crime and things got really, really bad. So, um, so you have that aspect. So if it is uh, like an economic downturn where things kind of get really, really bad, but there's not a complete collapse then a city, one of the things that Fernando always says is that the city is where there's the most people. That is where the government would, would uh, direct resources, or not just the government, but anybody that was sending in resources would direct them to the city because there was more people there. They can you know, affect more people. People out in the country is like, hey, we're not worried about you, uh, you know, and, and those kinds of things. Now, if it was a so if it's kind of like a downward downward spiral type thing, depending on how dangerous it was, you might want to stay in the city. You might want to stay where people where where there are a little bit more resources. You know, resources are going to be coming in. Um, in a city like Houston, where you know I live in the suburbs, I don't live inside the city. I don't know how that would play out. Um, yeah, I have my ideas and I know what I would do. The, if it was a complete collapse, I don't know if being in the city would be the best place, right? Uh, even being in the suburbs, depending on, you know, how the suburb is, is made up. If you have those homes that are just, you know, they, where you can reach out and touch your neighbor's house, you know, out, outside your window. I don't know. There's not a lot of space. There are some sub suburbs where um, there's a lot more than, you know, the, the homes are built on bigger yards. Uh, you know, out here where I live, you can go, you can turn down one street and be uh, almost in rural America. I mean, it looks like, you know, where you have fields and, and cows and everything. And then you can turn down another street and it's a neighborhood. So uh, we still live out there where, uh, where you know, you, you have, uh, you know, a lot of land that's still not developed. But, uh, there, you know, it's being developed very, very quickly. So if it was a total collapse situation, I don't know if I would want to be here because you would have the situation of uh, you know sewage backing up you would have no water you would have you know all those kinds of things happening and so uh, that would be kind of scary to me I, I would think um, you know th there's a lot of things that you would have to deal with uh, in, 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 in a complete collapse situation if you were in the city and then you were in even in the suburbs so uh, in that case I would you know completely bug out but uh, if if that was the case, I always talk about you know having your eyes open and, and and making the move sooner rather than later. Even if you're a little early, uh, I would rather make that move a little early and be safe and make sure that you get out. And so that's one of the things is trying to time things and and uh, I, you might you might try to time things and might totally get it wrong and uh, you might get stuck. You know that's the that's the problem. Those of you a lot you know over the years I've uh, talked to a lot of people. Even we've done surveys and different things like that where people are like Todd, I live out in my bug out location. You know I live out in you know in the country. And then so my question is is that you know if things got bad and people were starting to head out that way, you know how would you protect yourself? You know what kind of what do you have in place to protect yourself? Uh, you know so that's where you would want. I don't know. I think I would want. If I lived out in the country, I would be telling my family, hey, if something goes down, you got to make it here, right? Um, you know, we have, you know, bring bring all your supplies or whatever, but make it here. And uh, especially if my family members were preparedness minded, I'm like, you know, come, I, I would be very, very open about that. But that would be my concern if you were out there by yourself and it was just you and your wife or, uh, you know, your, your family of four. Uh, how, do you, how do you protect yourself? you got to sleep. you got to eat. you got to work. Uh, you know, those kinds of things if it was a complete collapse situation. All right. And, and the other thing is if, you're, if you know, you're living on land where neighbors are a little bit further away from you, uh, you know, all those things. So all those things to consider. 
All right, option number six. If you are like Lisa and I, your goal is to purchase some bug out property and eventually make it your home. Our goal is to have property that we can continually work on and eventually make it home. A few years ago, we purchased some property that was going to be our bug out location, but because it was so far away, we decided to go a different route. I'll explain a little more about this later, but in short, it was just too far away from us. Purchasing property and building your perfect bug out location may not be something that you can do overnight. It might take a little planning and saving to build it up the way you want it. Whether you want to buy a cabin out in the woods or just some land to build your own, there are some things that need to be considered. Below are a few recommendations you might hear on the internet for picking a good bug out location. Remember though, it needs to, it needs to work for you and your family or it's not going to work out like you thought it would. It's got to be within one tank of gas. I recommend within one hour driving time. The longer you have to drive, the more variable there are, variables there are and more options for things to go wrong. Away from population. This may go without saying, but you want to be as far away from population as possible. Easy accessible or easily accessible. A bug out location is only good if you can use it. We won't be able to choose when we need to bug out and what challenges we might face along the way. I'm sorry, it says we, when, we won't be able to choose when we need to bug out and what challenges we might face along the way. Okay, I, I read that correctly, sorry. Uh, water and food. You not only need to have the food and water you have stored, your property also needs to have a water source and other resources nearby. Defensible property. Our goal is to get away from people, but sometimes it's unavoidable. Knowing how to defend your property is very important just in case. In the show, we talked about perimeter security and alarms. Secluded. Again, this may go without saying, but you want to minimize the chance of anyone finding out where you are and what you have. Secluded not only means the property, but the supplies you have as well. Shelter. Having adequate shelter doesn't just mean a roof over your head. Shelter from the elements means having the clothes and supplies and the ability to stay warm and dry. Energy. In a bug out scenario, the odds are the grids, grid will be down and, and we will need to have alternate sources of energy. Wood stoves and solar chargers, crank radios and lights will all make life much easier. As I said earlier, we purchased some property in the past that didn't work out like we thought it would. In episode 49 and 50, we talked about some of the things we were looking at. The one thing we with this property that was the deal breaker was the distance it was fr from us. Because this bug out property was about four hours away on the highway, it became clear that it wasn't a feasible option. The challenge we might face along the route were only the first hurdle. I was also leery about building anything down there because I was worried about what might happen to it while I wasn't around. Now that we know a little more about what we want and need, we will have a better idea about what to buy the next time around. When we do purchase another bug out property, I plan on documenting the whole process here. Stay tuned. All right. So there's links all throughout uh, Dale and Lisa's uh, article over here that you can go check out. Tips for picking out a bug out location, and uh, you know, listen to that, listen to that podcast, and uh, see if there's some other information that you can gain from there, and uh, and learn and grow. You know, uh, again, uh, I think you do need to have the, the thing is that so many people, and I heard this recently with with uh, with Hurricane Harvey. So many people plant a bug in, right? Uh, and so that's that's your only option that you have. But there are times where, um, for whatever reason, you do have to bug out. And so I'm not saying you need to have you know elaborate plans and you need to have caches all the way through and 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 all this kind of stuff. But I think you do need to at least at the very very minimum have some plans in place of what you would do and how you would handle things if for whatever reason you had to bug out. What is your plan? Do do you have something that you could uh, that you can rely on? And uh, so good information over there. Go check that out at survivalistprepper.net. All right. So it's uh, it's the Friday podcast. For the Friday podcast, I normally in the group I'll ask the question, Hey guys, what kind of uh, um, topic would you like to to see or or to hear uh, on the podcast? Uh, because I try to pull something from the archives, from the Prepper Website podcast, or from the Prepper Website archives uh, and uh, the Tag Cloud. And so I got a couple of different things. I thought one of the interesting ones was uh, risk assessment. And so um, 
I recently wrote that article, you know, my survival for the common man series. My first one was about having a plan and talks a lot about this. I'm going to link to that one in the show notes. But uh, this one is uh, comes to us from graywolfsurvival.com. And so uh, Gray Wolf was, uh, Scott was a, uh, you know, in the military and uh, it was over in, I believe, Afghanistan. And, um, and so he has, uh, actually, I think he was in a lot of different places. Uh, and uh, so uh, he's got a lot of uh, experience when it comes to the military and, uh, you know, uh, using that, applying that into preparedness. And so he, uh, he wrote an article, and basically it is risk management or risk assessment, but uh, the title is, What Are You Prepping For? And so I think there's a lot of good information here. Uh, you're going to want to come to this one because there's some graphics here that, uh, or one specific graphic that you might want to look at because it helps to, um, to, to focus a little bit what he's talking about. And how to apply this risk assessment that he's uh, that he's uh, talking about in here in this article. And so uh, again, like I said, the article is entitled "What Are You Prepping For?" and it's over at GreyWolfSurvival.com. Let's go ahead and read this one. So, have you really thought it through what you're prepping for? I think that the reason people prep is because they want to be happy. There are risks out there to that happiness that they are taking steps to avoid. They realize that if they don't do anything about things that come up, that they'll lose their happiness. They forget that sometimes and put their life out of balance and then ha- become unhappy. Even worse, sometimes they lose their balance and prep for the wrong things and end up being unhappy twice. Prepping is essentially all about risk mitigation. Since I've spent a lot of time in the U.S. Army, I still have my certificate of appreciation for my time in the Cold War, I have a decent idea about how the Army does things. Why do we care about what the Army thinks? Where most decisions that the military makes is not about battle decisions. It's about prepping. The military is the ultimate prepper organization. When you do any sort of prepping, you're essentially hedging your bets. You're taking today's resources and converting it into something future, some future gains. You believe, and rightfully so, that there are hazards out there in the world that threaten you. These threats are a risk to your health, life, and happiness. You learn things, buy things, make things, find things, and store things in order to mitigate these risks. So it's basically an investment. But since you don't have an unlimited amount of money, space, and time, how do you know how to invest what you have? That's where the risk management stuff comes in. The Army calls it Composite Risk Management, or CRM. It's the hated thing that people have to do before they do any sort of mission because most people just fill in the blanks and hand it in. But done correctly, it can be immensely helpful for focusing your attention and helping your, you invest wisely. I'm just going to go easy on this stuff because it's a military application. That's, that means it's overly complicated and dry stuff. If you really want to dig deep into it, pick up a copy of FM5-19, Composite Risk Management. This post is not a class on how to do a proper CRM. This is a hodgepodge of methods and ideas I've put together for expediency in my life. And there's a, a link there if you want to go uh, find that uh, over on Amazon. Officially, there are five steps that the Army takes to their risk management. Step one, identify hazards. Step two, assess hazards to determine risk. Step three, develop controls and make risk decisions. Step four, implement controls. Step five, supervise and evaluate. So let's break these down here. Step one is identify hazards. This step is pretty easy. You just look at the world and think about all the bad things that could affect your life in a way that you don't like. The Army calls these things hazards. Specifically, it says a hazard is a condition with the potential to cause injury, illness, or death of personnel, damage to or loss of equipment or property, or mission degradation. Just remember that a hazard isn't necessarily an enemy with a tank. Crime is a hazard, and so are medical issues like airborne viruses. If it's something that concerns you, it may be a hazard. Step 2. Assess hazards to determine risk. Here's the part that people don't do all that well with. It sounds pretty complicated, but it really, it's really not. Some things out there could hurt you really bad, but aren't very likely. If the universe exploded, it would be absolutely catastrophic. It's not very likely. 
As a more palatable example, a nuclear bomb exploding above your city, taking out your power grid, much more likely to happen than the universe exploding, much less catastrophic. On the other hand, there are also things that aren't so devastating but are much more likely to happen. Getting a flat tire, for example. In most circumstances, getting a flat tire is an annoyance. It's immensely more likely to happen than a nuclear bomb going off in the sky, though. Between those two sets are lots of fuzziness. The army grades each of these into four severities and five probabilities. Severities are catastrophic, critical, marginal, and negligible. Probability are frequent, likely, occasional, seldom, and unlikely. I'm not going to go through the definitions of each because it's not necessary. You have a dictionary if you need it. Putting them together will give you four different categories of risk. Low risk, moderate risk, high risk, or extremely high risk. Here's how they lay out those categories so that you can see them easier. And like I said, there's a nice chart here that uh, makes it easy for you to see what he's uh, describing here. As you can see, something that is frequently probable and would be catastrophic would present an extreme high risk to you and yours. Conversely, something that's unlikely to happen and has negligible effects presents a low risk. Let's look at that flat tire hazard and assume that you have mediocre tires that are fairly well worn. How probable is it? Ah, well, here's where a lot of people mess up this tool. We're not ready for that yet. We've identified a hazard but not a risk. What's the risk due to a flat tire? In this case, there are several. Getting hurt because you wrecked your car, getting in trouble because you're delayed for work, being attacked because you're stuck at night in a bad neighborhood, and so on. So let's now take one of those risks. How about getting in trouble because you delayed for work? Or you're delayed for work. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it seldom happens. I've probably had about 10 flat tires in my life, so you can really say it's unlikely. The big thing about using this tool, though, is that you just put it where you think it fits best. As long as you do the same kind of in-your-head measurement to all the risks you're looking at, it all balances out. How severe would it be? Well, that may depend on when it happens. If you're, if you're like most people, it, would, it wouldn't be all that severe because you just say it happened and then clock in. To make it more interesting, let's say your boss is a butt and it wouldn't be good. There's a chance that you could be fired if you show up late. In this case, I'd call this marginal. It's not life-threatening, but you wouldn't want it to happen. So we have a marginal threat that seldom happens. Looking at the chart, that gives you an L for low risk. Now, you just do the same thing for the other risks and see where they lie. I'd put being attacked as a catastrophic risk that's unlikely. Why unlikely? Because you probably don't spend a lot of your time driving through bad neighborhoods. If you do, then you just move that up. A catastrophic risk that's unlikely puts you at an M on the chart for moderate risk. If, there are, if these are the only risks due to this hazard, then you, you're done assessing. Time to move on to the next step, otherwise keep going. Step three, develop controls and make risk decisions. Now you have to decide what controls you're going to take to make sure those things don't happen. Here are some of the things you might decide for being attacked. Avoid bad neighborhoods, get better tires to decrease the likelihood of a flat, carry a gun, have a cell phone on you to call for help, take self-defense classes, wear body armor. For getting in trouble for being late, have a cell phone with you to call in if you're going to be late, get better tires to decrease the likelihood of a flat, work on your relationship with your boss, get a different job. For getting hurt because of a wreck, get better tires to decrease the likelihood of a flat, Take advanced driving lessons, drive slower, wear six inch six <laughs> wear six inches body six inch body wraps of bubble wrap when you drive. Now technically an organization would break those down into who, what, where, when, and how, but you get the idea. The next step is to reassess your risk. If you decide to choose to do any of these things, your risk should change. Getting better tires may push you from a seldom to an unlikely, for example. This is, this is called your residual risk. It's what risk you have left over after you've done things about them. After that, you need to make risk decisions. Why? At first, you might think that you should do everything you can to make sure a flat tire doesn't affect your life. 
Is that feasible? Getting a different job is one thing that could help, but is it worth it? What about the bubble wrap? As fun as that may be, maybe not. Each control has a cost. Getting a different job means you'd have to do a resume, look for a job, interview, and possibly take less money. Wearing bubble wrap is cheap but could impact your driving ability, so you're more likely to get into a wreck overall. Step 4. Implement controls. In this case, you just do the stuff you said you were going to do. This is a section by itself for the FM because actually doing something in the Army can be a bit complicated. Step 5. Supervise and evaluate. Once you've got new tires or whatever you're going to do, you need to see if things have improved. Let's say you decide that getting along with your boss better was one of your solutions that you implemented. How's that going? Is it less likely you're, you'd get in trouble if you were late? Did you make things worse? So why did we go through all of this in the first place? You need to prioritize what you're prepping for. Prepping for the complete collapse of society is not only a huge, complicated, and expensive project, it's not as likely to happen as things like a house fire, losing your job, or getting hurt in a car accident. If you're building an underground bunker and don't have a couple of months of expenses saved up, your priorities are out of whack. I see this crap mainly from people who say that you shouldn't have a newer car or put anything on a thumb drive or Kindle because they say when SHTF there won't be any electronics. That's just pure crap. Sure, there's the slightest possibility that that may happen, and you should absolutely be ready in case it does, but 99.99999% of other things you have to deal with will still allow you to have electronics. I don't discount an EMP or CME threat at all, but come on. It's not the only threat out there, and certainly not the most likely. Hey, I agree with Scott on this one. It's, uh, you know, people... Uh, you know, uh, they they look at their preparedness and they base all their preparedness on uh, EMPs and and that kind of stuff. And uh, because of that, uh, you know, they have certain ideas and electronics don't play into it. And I think that's that's very foolish. I mean, like, uh, I think you you very much so should have a Kindle. You very much so, uh, you know, should be using your phone. There's a lot of you know positive uses for that. Uh, I don't think you just poo-poo that because it's, uh, you know, EMP could knock it all out. Um, so you have that. And then not only that, just recently we talked about, you can go back and find out, I can't remember which episode that was, but there was a, there was an article that we read here about how an EMP, the, the EMP commission uh, did work on or, or did testing on a controlled environment on cars and they didn't all shut down. I mean, in fact, um, they the worst case scenario was that the car turned off and you needed to pull over, you know, glide to a stop, pull over, and restart it, and then you can go on your on your merry way again. And so, um, you know, there's a, just a lot of misunderstanding still about EMP and CMEs out there. Uh, and I mean, you don't know what could happen. I'm not saying that things wouldn't ever get fried or anything like that, but you can't live your life just based on on an EMP because people are, you know, people are are basing their whole life on that or their whole preparedness, and uh, it might not ever happen. So anyway, let's continue on. You need to prioritize what steps you're going to take. The nitty-gritty stuff about is the nuts and bolts of your prepping plan. You don't, real, you don't really need to go through it all and assign categories like we do in the Army. You should do this at a high level, though, and then break them, things down as you go. A typical prepper is concerned with more than just a flat tire. You need to look at all the hazards and how they could affect your life. Then break them down into things that you can do something about. Compare the cost of those things and decide what to do. Did you notice that getting better tires was on all three lists? That one step can help mitigate several risks. If you've done this with several hazards, you'll see that doing one thing may help with a lot of risks. This is where you should be focusing your attention. Here's where the skills versus stuff thing really comes into play. What you'll find is that buying stuff can help control risk because you may have that stuff available when you need it. Stuff, though, has a cost in money, space, time, and weight, and you may not have it with you when you need it. Skills, though, don't cost space or weight, and you always have them with you. Learning takes time and sometimes money, although with the advent of the Internet, that cost is usually negligible, though so it's not free. You need balance in your life. 
Here's another thing. By breaking things down into real-life risks, you can start to see that there are bigger risks to your life that you are more likely to make that are more likely to make you unhappy than some of the things you've probably been focusing on. By coming at this as an investment in your happiness, you can see that there are other things that are at risk that you may not be thinking of. What about your family? Do you spend enough time with them or are you always on the computer learning how to rub two, sti two sticks together? What about your friends? Do you, have, do you invest time with them? Do you have friends? What about hobbies that aren't prepper specific? The whole reason I wrote this article is because every time someone brings up getting a ham radio, some idiot will post that it's a stupid idea because the government will be able to track you down. Really? Is that the only thing you're worried about? Why are you on the internet? Another is that when people bring up keeping documents and references on thumb drives and something like a Kindle Paperwhite, that some idiot screams that you won't be able to use that if, if there's an EMP. Really? So you're going to actually print out 10,000 pages of books, laminate them, and keep them in your bug out bag? Because that's how many pages I have in my thumb drive and my Kindle. I also keep a few pages of laminated emergency information, but you can't fit too much on there. Good. Good luck with your memorization of all that information, and I hope you don't have to rely on anyone else. You seriously need to loosen up the tinfoil around your head and look at all scenarios, not just the ones that are all over the BS websites you've been reading. Stop and take account of what you're prepping for, why you're doing it, and plan ahead. You're not a hoarder. You're a prepper. Start acting like one. All right. So a couple of comments over here. Some, uh, like I said, you have um, I, you have some links, and then you have uh, the the big thing is that chart. I think is very very helpful for you to see uh, uh, to be able to have a vis visualization of uh, Scott's uh, explanation of the risk assessment and uh, be able to to go from there. So uh, great article there, and I hope that that helps you a little bit uh, thinking through preparedness because I, I still see this as well, uh, where people are like, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I, I need to prepare for an EMP, and I'm like, well, you, what you need to do is you need to make sure that you have, you know, food storage, you have water, uh, you need to make sure that you're paying off your bills, you have some money, uh, you know, stashed aside, uh, you know, those kinds of things, uh, and and not so worried about the EMP. And the thing is, is like when when your eyes are open to how fragile our world is and how how easily everything can go down the tube, it's very very understandable for you to to have that freak out experience, right? Uh, when you see something like uh, you know recently on the Facebook group we had talked about uh, American blackout, uh, someone had mentioned that they had seen American or, or American blackout or were looking it up. And uh, I remember that there was a, there was a British version of it on, uh, and I saw it on YouTube, and uh, I, I thought it was it was you know it was really good, just like American Blackout. It was uh, you know I can't remember exactly what they called it. Um, actually, I'll link to that one as well because you might be interested in watching that video. I mean, the full length video is on YouTube, and uh, so I posted it on there, and someone was like, "Man, now I can't sleep," you know, after after watching that. And uh, you know that's that's the thing when you realize how fragile we are, it's easy to kind of have that freak out. But you just got to come back to reality because at any time, you, know, you get in your car. I mean, you're driving. You're you're like, hey man, you're you can get in some kind of accident. And it might it's not even your fault. You could be the best driver in the world. Some idiot could be texting. Some idiot could be you know not paying attention, changing the channel, uh, you know, on their on their radio or whatever it might be. And then they ram into you, and you're in a serious serious accident that not only affects your health but affects your job, affects the money coming in, affects your family, all those kinds of things. And so. You know, uh, you, you know, just getting in your car can can be a, a, a situation like that, and so uh, that's why you need to you know make sure that you you are balanced in that. Uh, I, I do like the thing about uh, hey, are you always on the internet all the time? Uh, because a lot of people tend to do that when you're first coming into preparedness and you, and you start seeing some of these things and you start you know doing the freak out, uh, the preparedness freak out. Uh, you you you're trying to get as much information as you can because you you could be it's not that you're trying to ne neglect your family you might be doing it because you love your family you might be doing it because you care about them and you want the very best for them and you want to protect them as much as possible but uh, yeah you don't want to completely neg neglect them as well uh, that's very very easy to do you can get sucked into all kinds of preparedness 
by, by, by doing that. And I know I've heard a lot from a lot of you who say, Todd, we appreciate the podcast because we can't uh, you know, sit down and, and read a bunch of articles every week, but at least you know, listening to the podcast, you at least get on a minimum 10 articles right, that you're able to listen to, and you get that information with a little bit of commentary from me. And uh, sometimes there's more art, there's more articles there too. So, uh, you know, there there you go. But uh, go check out uh, GreyWolfSurvival.com and SurvivalistPrepper.net. Some good articles there. And uh, man, keep your eye on uh, on the earthquake situation. I'm, I've uh, been over at the US USGS website and had it. Or it's actually earthquake earthquake. I can talk earthquake.usgs.gov. And uh, just kind of tracking what was going on, like there was a 4.1 in Mexico, just as you know, just while I was doing the the uh, the podcast or recording the podcast. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we'll see how all that goes. Um, we might be in a in a situation where, and we talked about that recently, right? Uh, that uh, the Earth's rotation was slowing down just a little bit. I mean, we're talking about so little. I mean, you know, just. I was I wasn't gonna I was gonna say so little that you can't even feel it, but you can't feel the rotation anyway. But I mean, it was just it's just a very small difference, right? Mathematically, but they're saying that that can increase the earthquakes that that are going on. And so, um, man, there you go. Uh, something again, another thing to uh, to consider and to always think about. All right, so uh, that's it for episode 203. I appreciate you being a part of uh, the the podcast this week. Uh, if you get a chance, come over to the Facebook group and join it. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you haven't if you haven't uh, signed up for the email list, you know when you sign up, I send you a free PDF. I had uh, nine of uh, my preparedness friends uh, in the, in the preparedness uh, community gurus out there. I asked them for their seven top um, kit items. And I put that together all in a PDF, and and not to, so you can sit there and copy it, but that you can get an idea of what you know. People who have been preparing for a while, people who write about preparedness, authors, uh, you know, people that are considered experts. You know, what do they what do they consider are important things for their uh, you know for their uh, for their kits? And so we have different kits. There's bug out kits. There's EDCs. Uh, you know that we have all different kinds of things involved there, and uh, their top seven items. And then I ask them to give me their top number one item. And so uh, you know you can come over to the Prepper Website podcast. Actually, you can come over to any of uh, my uh, websites at the Matters Prepper Website or the Prepper Website Podcast dot com, and uh, just you know click on the link to join or to to get the the PDF, and you'll sign up for the podcast or for the for the email list, and uh, you'll get that. PDF sent to you in your email, and uh, and I always try to send out good stuff, uh, you know, in the email as well. So uh, if you haven't done that, you know, make sure you do that, and you'll get some good stuff there. And then uh, if you if you get a chance, hit me up uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I always love to connect with listeners out there. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really great to hear from you uh, when when I connect with you. All right, guys, with that. Um, have a great weekend. I hope you enjoy your weekend. Get a lot of stuff done. Uh, I'm going to be cutting up some. Uh, my son got a deer, uh, and uh, we're going to be cutting up the deer, and uh, I think maybe grinding it. And uh, so we're going to be heading over to my father-in-law's. To, uh, he's got all the all the great uh, material and stuff over there. All the tools that we need to do that. So uh, excited about uh, putting a little bit of meat in the freezer. So uh, we'll be doing that. Maybe if uh, he said he was going to start, uh, you know, uh, and we were going to go meet him, uh, you know, when, when we can get over there. And so uh, if he's not too far along, I'll try to get some pictures and post them on the, on the Facebook group. Uh, just, uh, you know, of what he's doing in this process. I know that we're going to be making sausage too, so I don't think we're doing it this weekend. But when we do, uh, I'll definitely want to do a little bit of uh, recording of the steps. Maybe I'll uh, do some recording of the steps and uh, do an article about that. All right, so uh, there we go. All right, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.